Hey, boys and girls, wherever you may be around the world, and thank you for your company once again on truth2u.org. That's truth2letteru.org. I'm Jono, and joining me is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour, the author of The Moses Scroll, that's themosesscroll.com, Ross Nichols. G'day, mate. Hey, Jono, how are you? You know, we, we would be in Israel recording this show sitting across from no. one another at a table. We told everyone we would in be the here. Negev. We, we, yeah. we lied. We we basically lied. <laughs> we, we didn't we didn't mean to, but didn't mean to. No. Man. It, it was not our intent to deceive. That's or right. To bear false witness. But we absolutely mm-hmm. intended. We had we had the, we had bought the airfare we had the we, tickets. We were on our way. We had so much booked. So so this is the situation in Israel at the moment is that uh, I think in my opinion, Ross, there is an overreaction to the Omicron variant of COVID and the powers that be in Israel think it best to uh, maintain strict, uh, well, restrictions and, and whatnot. It, it's really odd. I really, it's a, it's a bit silly, to be honest, and uh, it's unnecessary, I think. But in any case, that's what they've decided to do and it just makes it too hard and we're just going to wait for all that to blow over. Uh, and honestly, I think the Omicron variant is going to help this whole COVID thing to blow over. I mean, it seems all, I mean, we shouldn't get into it now, but it just seems yeah. like all indicators at this point are that it is perhaps more contagious, but less dangerous. So I'm all for natural immunity, if that's what it's going to do for us, then well, uh, go for it. Well, the good thing is our hope continues to be that by the fall everything will be back at you know whatever new normal looks like i don't know what that means but uh i am looking forward to the tanakh tour and we're accepting now people can sign up because you can bet jono that by november these these wonderful folks who listen to us are going to want to join us in israel uh and and they're going to be ready to travel by then you know what i'm saying Mm. they ought to be they ought to be jumping I can't believe we have any empty seats on the bus right now. They better go ahead and secure them because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just, uh, another another person just signed up the other day. G'day to David. That's right. And looking forward to meeting you for the first time in Israel. This is his first trip, so this is it's really oh, exciting for him. But yes, I'm very, very confident for November. It's uh, it's looking very optimistic. So yes, absolutely. Tanakhtours.com. Tanakhtours.com is the website. Go there, sign up, or just click on the link at truthtoyou.org where you are right now, and it'll take you to our tour in November with you, me, and Rabbi Chavia Singer. It's going to be great. That's right. Hey, before we jump into this discussion tonight mm-hmm. uh, for the recording, let's just mention that on Academia, there are two new pieces debating... Oh, I was going to ask you about this. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm excited because we have two opposing sides once again Scholarly World continues to debate this at the highest level in the best journals. I'm telling you, and it's, and it's not going. Let me sorry to interrupt, but no, it's not ahead. going away any anytime soon. It's back out of the box once yep. again, and uh, and and it just continues to be debated. This time, your mate uh, Matthew Rochelle, yep, and another scholar by the name of Sass. Is that correct? Now, B- Rochelle, yep, yep, Benjamin Sass. So mm-hmm. now, correct me if I'm wrong. Rochelle is not. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't hold to our view that this is an authentic document. We we lean in that corner quite strongly. He is approaching this from a philo- he's a philologist, right? Is he a he's, how, he's how a paleo- paleographer? That that's his paleographer. Field. Yeah, he is an expert at ancient scripts, and and uh, even though he has a negative assessment, or he believes that the Shapira strips 
are forgeries. He does not think they're authentic representations of the scroll of Moses as I presented, but even though he is negative on it, he and I have become fairly good friends, and, and we've exchanged mm. quite a bit of emails back and forth. He He's really, really a great guy. He is a professor of Old Testament at a Catholic university at Louvain. And mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, we've, we've made pretty good friends, and, and I, I enjoy his discussions, and I've learned a lot from him. I still maintain that we're right. In fact, that is the view of Benjamin Sass, who also just published an article. And just so, published as well. Now, before before we get mm-hmm. to that one, with, with Rochelle, I have to say, I, I read that article, and it is exceptionally presented. I mean, it's really worth reading, and the argument that he holds, the position that he takes, is based on, it, well, it comes down to the presentation of the paleo letters. Is that fair? That's correct. The letter or, forms. Or just two or three of the letters, the letter forms. Mm-hmm. And it is fascinating, and he has to he has to stay within his his realm of of uh, expertise, and that's certainly what he does uh, in this paper and argues his position. And I, th- I think he does it really well. Not only that, but he draws on your book a number of times. Ross, I noticed in the footnotes, he really does um, that he that he takes uh, quite a bit from the Moses scrolls. So, uh, great article, absolutely worth reading, and and I did. And so, uh, in response to that, Benjamin Sasko. Yeah, so one more thing about Rochelle. Um, not only does does he uh he holds this view about the letter forms, one of the things that he says is that there are various things if a person wants to do there's it's a full science. So if you look at mm. ancient handwriting, they talk about ductus, they talk about whether a particular letter is supposed to lean to the left or lean to the right. They put a lot of stake into these things. So uh, I won't get into my thoughts on the subject because, you know, I'm not a paleographer. However, uh, his, his main point is that he, he thinks that the Shapira strips uh, contain, um, let's say, uh, evidences of different periods. So an olive might look like uh, an olive from a very ancient script, but one of the other letters might represent something which is more modern. So because of what he sees as a mixture of letter forms, he's come to conclude that these uh, strips are inauthentic. Now, Benjamin hmm. Sass, on the other hand, Benjamin Sass sees things. He is also a paleographer at, uh, where, where is he, Jonah? At the Hebrew University at Tel Aviv? Is that correct? Is, Do you is, remember? I, well, I believe he's in Israel. I don't remember exactly. He I is think in Israel. I think it is Tel Aviv. Yeah. yeah. I, think it is, I think it is Tel Aviv. So just in real short form, what he says is that he sees evidences of letter forms, particularly the Yod, which, which no one at the time, no one in the 19th century had ever seen these particular forms of these letters. They had not been evidenced at that time. So he Mm -hmm. says it's clear to him that someone, if they were to forge something in the 19th century, they would not have included these letters. So we won't Mm -hmm. get into all the debate, but we we will tell people that you can find both of these papers on academia now. And, And we might do a show on that on some of these ongoing debates when we finish with the script, if you'd like. I think that'd be great. I think we should do that uh, because, to be honest, most of this is way over my head and uh, not so much with you, and so I definitely need your help with that. But let me, 
on just on that, uh, and before we jump off the topic, um, we did talk about this briefly a, a few days ago, and I mentioned to you that I'm reading uh, John Mark Allegro's book, The Dead Sea Scrolls. Right. And reading through the first chapter, uh, he talks about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and he mentions things like how it was found in a cave by Bedouin. You know, mm -hmm. they just happen mm -hmm. upon a, a, a cave that was full of these scrolls. And when they looked at these scrolls, they, they looked like uh, blackened leather. Yeah, uh, and 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 that they were um, uh, they were wrapped in linen, and there were a number of um, uh, boxes ticked. As I was reading through the right. first chapter, which is really well written, I mean, it's really uh, a book worth reading. And I think it was first, I think it was published initially in fifty six. I think, yeah, yeah, 56. yeah, yes. So it's shortly after the event and uh, the discovery of the um, of the Dead Sea Scrolls and. And so it's, it's a fascinating read, but I'm reading it, Ross, and I'm mm -hmm. thinking, man, I really could be almost reading uh, a description of the discovery of the Shapira scrolls. And it got me thinking, it's so, so, so many of the same boxes are ticked, and yet the discovery of the, the Bedouin uh, happening upon the scrolls in the Wadi Mujib happened approximately, what, eight decades prior to the Dead Sea Scrolls? That's right. That's right. Now, now I said to you... Uh, have there been any discoveries of ancient scrolls prior to Shapira that tick those boxes, that have those things in common? And as far as you know, there there hasn't been. Is that correct? That's that's correct. We have mentioned in a couple of sources, and I have them in the book, uh, where there is mention in certain uh, documents that says, yeah, there were these scrolls that were found in caves, but there's no real description to my not mm. my knowledge as far as the details. So as far as circumstance, see. that's right. As far as circumstance and description, it is uncanny, really. It really is. And just on that alone, it is remarkably compelling. Yeah, uh, I think in favor of the Shapira scroll. And I and I said to you, what do people like uh, uh, scholars, great scholars like Rochelle, do with that information? And of course, well, can, I, are you allowed to answer? Can we go into that? Yeah, I, I can very, very easily. Rochelle is a brilliant scholar. I mm. think I pronounce his name correctly. It's Matthew Rochelle, or it might be Rochelle. But anyway, he he is a paleographer, and he does very well. Well, of course, he's also an Old Testament scholar, but he sticks mm. primarily, as far as his engagement in the Shapira debate, in the field in which he's really trained. And, mm -hmm. and and so I admire that to a certain degree. Yes. Uh, it, but but then you know other scholars don't necessarily go by that rule. But but a lot of scholars will do that. They'll say, "Here's my contribution to this debate." So yes. he says, as you noted, he he references my book quite a few times in his article, mm. and and he says, "Look, it's fascinating. It's compelling." However, according to the paleography, and then he makes his case. So, uh, I you know I now so from well, so from his field of expertise he has to dismiss what is uh, or not even or not, evidence or not even entertain it you know he, not even entertain he, it he doesn't even really look at it now here's what he did say I wrote him a letter and I said uh, dear Matthew you're you're one of my favorite scholars I'm paraphrasing I said mm. and I like you so much that when we find the scroll and we take it to get testing and it proves to be authentic, I'm going to buy you dinner. And he said, uh, if you find it and if you test it and it proves to be authentic, 
I will write a retraction and I'll be the one paying for dinner. So he's a really great guy, you know. <laughs> and, he does sound like a great guy, yeah. And and so, but the truth behind that little joking back and forth is, I really feel confident that we will find it, that it will test positive uh, or authentic. It will be proven to be authentic. And I have a dinner coming to me. So that's that's hey, just the way go. I feel. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's great. Uh, so again, Benjamin Sass is, and that that can be found on uh, Academia. It, it, as it well? can. In fact, what we should do, Jono, I'm going to take a note that I need to send you those links. So we'll put both articles yeah. uh, since under we this post. Them. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Okay, done. We will right. do that for those who are really into that high end of uh, of discussion. Um, you're really going to enjoy this. All right, we are up to what? We're up to number eight now. I think we're up to number number nine. Number nine. I think we're up to eight. Have you been looking at nine? (laughs) Hang on, wait. The last one that we did was number seven. No, no, we're up to eight because uh, the last one we did was "You shall not swear by my name to deceive." That's what we're up to, isn't it? Uh, Now we're up to. We did that, and now we're up to you. Shall not respond against your brother with a testimony of deceit. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I just counted it wrong. That's the one I studied. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> I said the wrong count. I don't. I don't even. Right. I just put nine in my notes because I, in my mind I just counted them wrong. See, and I should. There should be no excuse for that, Jonah. Why is that? Because every Admonish. one of these ends with "I am Elohim, your Elohim." So all I had to do was count go. those, and I'd be caught up. All right, so it's number eight. All right, let's go. It's, it's number eight. This is now the way that it appears in the Moses scroll. You shall not respond against your brother. There's the qualifier against mm-hmm. your brother with a testimony of deceit. I am Elohim, your Elohim. In the Torah, Exodus chapter twenty, verse sixteen, simply has you shall not give false testimony testimony against your neighbor, not your brother, but your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've discussed this before. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.20 is the same. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. It's not what you shall do. Um, it's an interesting thing. And like I said, we have mentioned this before, but uh, the term brother is uh, missing from the canonical text, both in the uh, in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Uh, but it's an interesting thing, and I've mentioned this, that um, the themes uh, are emphatically used in, in Genesis. So the narratives of uh, Cain and Abel, Esau and Jacob, Joseph and his brothers uh, highlight themes of hate between brothers, killing or conspiring to kill a brother, stealing from a brother and deceiving a brother. Right. Uh, but the qualifier of brother is not there. There's a few interesting verses um, that we can cross-reference to this. We'll get there eventually. What's, where do you want to kick off? Well, I, I think you, you brought up some good points, and we can just kind of talk about those for a moment. It's when you say that, uh, that, these, that these in the canonical text lack the brother, just hmm. to make sure people understand and didn't miss your other point, it says your neighbor. So it, it does have a, a qualifier, but it's your neighbor and not your brother. And hmm. we've also talked in previous discussions, Jonah, as you recall, that Sometimes in the Hebrew Bible, we'll find a passage where it mentions brother and a very similar passage which mentions neighbor. So some Mm -hmm. might look at that and say, brother, neighbor, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we've beat that dead horse, as we say. But the interesting thing is that there is a very close, in some ways, this 
commandment that you're talking about in the canonical text in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, we see something very similar in some ways in Shapira strips, but we also see some differences between the two. And these differences are significant. And I told you before we went live tonight that uh, that there was a great debate uh, back in the, the 19th century about this very commandment or this, this very All word. Right. So we're going to get into some fun stuff. I'm I'm looking forward to this one, you know, because it is in some ways sort of straightforward, but in other ways, it's uh, it's it's nuanced. Now, one thing about this, a lot of people might read this from a translation reading slightly different than what you just read, but this is the commandment, if you will, that people associate with bearing false witness, mm. bearing mm. false witness. Now, what does that mean to you? If I just say Jono, don't bear false witness, because that's got a little bit of archaic language in it. Do we say, do we speak like that anymore? What does that mean uh, to you? So, in other words, if we were to put that into modern language, um, don't misrepresent another, don't slander, slander maybe, or mm-hmm. uh, defame, mm-hmm. uh, defamation perhaps. Uh, don't say that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. Would that be fair? Uh, well, it could be. It could be something <laughs> like that. Yep. All right. So so when we think about this particular commandment, you shall not respond. Notice I use this word, you shall not respond against your brother with a testimony of deceit. Mm-hmm. All right. So this, this it's a little bit difficult, you know, I, and I'm always looking at, you and I especially over the last several months, uh, did we did we nail it on the translation, or does it need some tweaking? And only now, remember when I put this book out, Don Dershowitz, his book wasn't out for two weeks. Mm. So mm. I didn't have anybody else's that I could look at. But now I begin to look at mine. What did I come up with? What did Don come up with? And we'll get into some of that as well. But I wanted to mm. start with the canonical text, Jono, because if you take Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16 and you put it one right under the other, you then take Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 19, mm. which is I think verse 17 in the Hebrew, and you put them on top of each other, you'll see that uh, it, it says uh, 1, 2, 3, the first four, there are five words in Hebrew in this word, you know, and I'm talking about the 10 words. Mm-hmm. This is word number mm-hmm. eight, right, Jono? Eight. Right, right. Okay. So if you look at word eight in the canonical text, uh, or according to our numbering for the Shapiro yep. strips, what you see is that the first four words are identical between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. But the fifth mm-hmm. word is different. Now, what do I mean by that? I want to really let this sink in. If the word that's translated uh, lie or falsehood or mm-hmm. you know false, the two words between Exodus twenty and Deuteronomy five are not the same word. Now, huh? It's it, absolutely not detectable in the English. That's right, because they translate it to make it they they make the problem go away, Jono. If you don't know Hebrew, you can't look at the mm-hmm. Hebrew. Now, the reason I'm stressing this is because one of the arguments uh, that came forward in the 19th century from Professor Schlotman and Professor Delich was, uh-huh. don't you dare, Shapira, don't you dare touch our Ten Commandments. You're mm. telling me 
that your version of the Ten Commandments is authentic, but you're taking away from the authority and the God-inspired element of our authentic Ten Commandments. So if I were there in the 19th century, I would say, wait a minute, fellas. We have two versions of the Ten Words in the canonical text, and they don't agree. So which one Mm. would you like to start with? So here's here's the word that's different between these two, Jono. Now, they mean basically the same thing. In Exodus chapter 20, we have shin kof resh, uh, sheker. It, it mm-hmm. generally denotes uh, falsehood or a lie, mm-hmm. okay? And I'm being very general in, in the definition. Sure. In, in Deuteronomy 5, it has shin vav aleph. Now, I encourage everybody to, you can use Blue Letter Bible, which is free on the internet. Go look at these verses and verify what I'm saying. The words Mm -hmm. are different. Now, you could say, well, they mean roughly the same, but both accounts, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, claim to be the very words of God. Mm -hmm. Now, why are they different? Okay, I've let that, I've, I've made that point. So, now we've got to think about, um... What are the differences between the canonical text, which I just pointed out, they're not even the same, and now we have Shapira. We bring Shapira in. So if we start with that last word that I just said was different between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, mm-hmm. Shapira strips uses Sheen Kof race, just like Exodus 20, all right? Ah, so it's sides. So, so uh, okay. So, well, to put it in uh, in the perspective that we view it from, Exodus is deriving more correctly from the Shapira scroll. Is what you're saying from yep. the Moses scroll? That's right. Okay. Now, uh, now that that piece is nailed down, so the Shapira manuscripts don't match exactly with what we find in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So once again. Mm-hmm. If, if you look at all three of these, now let's say you have on a piece of paper in Hebrew, Exodus 20's version, Deuteronomy 5's mm-hmm. version, and, Deut- and Shapira's version, what you'll see is uh, Shapira's version also has five words. Now, we've got some differences, though, um, because the part, you shall not respond or you shall not answer, I don't even remember how the canonical text has it. How does Exodus 20... Uh, it says, uh, you, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Okay. Or you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, yeah. It, and in Hebrew, lo ta'ane, lo ta'ane. The root word there is ayin nun hey, which literally means to answer or respond. Now, it's, mm-hmm. sometimes it's translated bear false witness. Now, the, the, this is old English. This is what I was getting at a minute ago. We, we, we know even in modern English, we'll say something like a tale bearer, someone who bears tales, tells stories. I, I think that's the idea is that you're bringing forward like you're carrying a message, but the message is false. The message is a lie. Mm-hmm. So it says, don't don't bear. But, it, but literally, and that's why I translated it, you shall not respond against your brother. Now, there's our second difference. But, but let me go back to the, the verb here. Lo ta'ane. Lo ta'ane. Mm-hmm. And, and no, you shall 
respond. In the Shapira's manuscript, it says, Lo ta'anu, no, you shall, you shall respond, that's translated correctly, against your brother instead of against your neighbor in the corresponding canonical text. So in other words, there's a slight difference there. Now, let me just make this point. If you're going to forge something, why would you change something? Why would you spell a word that is, you have two witnesses to it in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. If both of those have tav, ayin, nun, hey, why in the world would you change the hey to a vav as the Shapira manuscript does? Mm. Now, by the way, this does not negate or sh- uh, cast any shadow of negativity or inauthenticity on the Hebrew. It's perfectly okay to say this. In fact, some have now and previously, even in the 19th century, argued that this would be probably closer to what we would expect in an ancient text with a, a vav on the end instead of the hay. Mm-hmm. So, and then we get into the against your brother, against your neighbor. Again, I, I don't see a big deal there, but but why would you change it, Jono? If mm. if you're going to forge, why introduce something different into the text? You know, and we've seen this several times. You know, and Shapira made that comment. He's like, "Why in the world would a forger unnecessarily bring uh, something different in just for the sake of being different?" Mm. You know, yeah. I, I don't yeah. get yeah. it. <clears throat> it's absolutely curious. While while we're doing comparisons, can I ask you? Yeah. Uh, Leviticus nineteen eleven. Is there similarity in the Hebrew there? Because we understand, of course, Leviticus nineteen to be another attempt at the ten words, and I'm wondering if there is any similarity here. You know, I I did a search on on various phrases from this particular uh, commandment, and. I didn't see any connection with Leviticus 19. Did you notice one? Uh, only in that in the English, uh, it says, uh, you, know, you shall not steal, uh, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. It seems like it wants to, uh, it seems what, like it wants to invoke verse, what that. Verse? Which uh, in the English, it's in 1911. Okay, let's look at that. Uh, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely. Okay, that and that is a totally different word uh, where it says deal falsely. Hmm. It's chachash, uh, and it's and, th- and that word means to deceive or to deny. And then it says uh, you shall not lie. Now there is our word um, sheker, but it's used in a different form. So it's it, uh, that's okay. why I didn't pick it up on my search. But but you're right to point it out because it is similar. Um, it's very similar to what we find because it's, it's basically dealing with false representation or misrepresentation, right. you might say. Okay. So while we're on this, can I, can I just bring to you a couple of other, two other verses, actually, two other passages mm-hmm. um, that came to my attention in regards to this verse, and I am curious as to whether there is any uh, similarities in the Hebrew okay. or anything else that might be um, curious for you. One of them uh, well, while we're still let's in the Torah, let's say uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Now, we understand, of course, we've mentioned a number of occasions that chapter 12 to chapter 26, uh, as you like to call it, interrupting Moses, yeah. is the um, the law code mm-hmm. uh, that is dropped in there. And, uh, of course, chapter 19 is part of that right in the middle, 16 to 20 other yeah. verses. And it says, uh, if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, 
then both parties shall dispute uh, of the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, and it's using brother here, mm -hmm. then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. That is an excellent verse to bring in, Jono, and there are several connections between what you just quoted in the Hebrew and what we find in Shapira's manuscript. And, and I'll, right. I'll go through them quickly. If you look yeah. at particularly in verse 18, um, mm -hmm. where it talks about uh, the judges shall inquire diligently, and, um, and if the witnesses, um, if the witness is a false witness, okay? So here you have aid Shekhar, uh, Ayn Dalit, Aid, which is translated a witness. All right, mm -hmm. so you have what you have is a lying witness here. And then it says, and the witness, uh, the lying witness answers. Now, in my translation, ah, okay. it says, and has accused his brother falsely. That's not really what it says. It, it may be what it means, Jonah, but what it really says is, you have that word ana there. Now we find that word ana, the root word ana, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 and in the Shapira manuscript. What's interesting about this verse that you just called our attention to is that it, like you said, it has brother against his brother, mm. whereas the canonical text in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 both use neighbor. neighbor. So mm. so here's a here's a thought. Now I believe that what we have in the law code is a later uh, body of legislation. Later meaning, I don't think it dates back to the time of Moses. Mm. But, 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 and in this case, it's a big but, because in this case, it clearly is recalling something like we see in the Shapira manuscript, and by the way, only in the Shapira manuscript. So it has all the right words. They're they're used right. in a different form, but it's conveying the same idea. You're, what do you do? This is what Deuteronomy 19 is saying. What do you do if you, you have a, a lying witness against his mm. brother uh, or someone who brings a false testimony, uh, a response or an accusation of false falsehood? in testimony. And that, so that's an excellent mm. verse. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let me throw another one at you and, and right. see what we can make of this. Um, psalm chapter 50. Now, this, is, this is an interesting psalm because I think uh, the way I read it, it kicks off. Uh, God is saying, and this is a psalm of Asaf, but it, it's saying, look, I don't need your sacrifices. What do you think? I'm hungry. I, right. I, own, I don't need that stuff. Uh, and it goes on in, in uh, some, and of course, we, we have nothing of sacrifice in the Moses scroll except for uh, the sacrifices of Baal, right. Beor, and that's certainly in a, in a negative uh, light. Psalm chapter uh, 50, verses 16 to 20, it says, But to the wicked, God says, what right do you have uh, to tell of my statutes and take my covenant in your mouth? Mm. For... You yourself hate discipline, and you throw my words behind you. When you see a thief, you become friends with him, mm. and you associate with adulter adulterers. So we have theft and adultery here. Mm. Then uh, it goes on to say, you let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue harnesses deceit, which uh, which is interesting. And verse 20, 
You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Mm. Thoughts, Ross? Well, again, you're, you're finding some of these connections through words, words based on words and thoughts and expression uh, within the Hebrew. This is very similar, although we don't have uh, an exact match with the phrases. You know, you're, you're coming up with someone who's speaking basically falsehood. It's a different, different word once again for falsehood, and, and even slander is, uh, is a different word. But nonetheless, it deals with falsehood directed through speech against a brother. So, so these and are examples of that. Yeah. In addition to that, it's clearly evoking the ten words, Ross. I mean, uh, yeah. we have uh, you know, it mentions theft, it mentions adultery, it mentions deceit, and it mentions speaking slanderously against one's own brother, and it and it emphasizes that it doubles up on that. Your own mother's son. Like, this is a, how could you even do such a thing? Right. And it is interesting, and we've already mentioned, of course, that um, the canonical text uses uh, neighbor. It's not that unusual. I mean, when we get into the blessings and the curses of this particular uh, word, it does mention in the blessings, and of course, the blessings aren't in Deuteronomy. They're not in the Torah. They're only in the Moses scroll. The blessing is, blessed is the man who does not deal falsely and does not practice deceit with his neighbor. So there's a little Mm -hmm. bit of an expansion there. Uh, and all the people shall respond, they say, amen. The curse is, cursed is the one who takes a bribe to testify deceitly against his associate. So it, it becomes even broader within the curse. And associate is a curious word. We'll, we'll get there eventually and um, talk about that. But it's not outside of the scope, obviously, the, um, the commandment itself. It's just interesting that the specific word is, uh, is brother. There are passages that obviously reference that yep. within our uh, within the Tanakh, but it doesn't appear that way in Exodus or Deuteronomy. Ross? Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that really I, I want to get into here now is this idea of Eid Sheker, which is translated a false witness or a lying witness. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so... I looked up that particular phrase. By the way, that particular phrase is how Exodus 20 and verse 16 has it. Remember, Deuteronomy 5 has Shin Vav uh, Aleph. But this uh, Sheker, which matches our Shapira manuscript, is Exodus 20, 16. So, Ed Sheker occurs Exodus 20, 16, Deuteronomy 19, 18, which you just drew our attention to, and then it occurs elsewhere only in the Proverbs, all right? So look at uh, oh, yeah. Proverbs 6.19. A false witness, there's our aid Shekhar, who breathes mm-hmm. out lies, and, and that's a different word for lie, and one who sows discord among the brothers. So, oh, there we are. Yeah, so we've got mm. brother, we've got Shekhar, we've got aid. Now look at Proverbs 14.5. A faithful witness, Jonah, does not lie, okay? But mm-hmm. a false witness, age Shekhar, breathes out lies. So again, you're talking about, it's. It, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, it, watch him, if he's breathing, he's lying. You know, somebody mm-hmm. who has a real bad reputation. Uh, now look at Proverbs 25.18. A man who bears... False witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Now, this one is interesting because we have some similar words. 
we have, uh, you see where it says bears false witness in Proverbs 25, mm. 18. That's uh, the root word ayin nun hey, which means to answer. So, so really, a man who answers against his neighbor as an aide sheker, as a false witness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so that's it. We have five references in the Hebrew Bible to age Shekhar, which matches Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 16. But Jonah, it doesn't quite match what we see in Shapira's manuscript. It's close. Mm-hmm. It's very close. It's close. Mm. But the difference is this. In the five passages that I just read, um, the the phrase uh, false witnesses, aid Shekhar. Aid is... Uh, witness, all right? And it's Ayan Dalit. Now, what Shapira's manuscript has is not Ayan Dalit. It's Ayan Dalit Tav. So, now, what does that mean? This is the question. So, is it a false witness or a lying witness, or is it something else? Now, in Hebrew, the word Ayan Dalit Tav, now, remember, in, in the Shapira manuscript, um, there's no vav in it, which would make it a dut, because the internal, what we call vowel letters, are mm-hmm. not present in the Shapira manuscript, not like you right. would see in later biblical Hebrew. But this is typically understood as not witness, but testimony. So a witness is a person who is going to bring forward a lie, but mm-hmm. in this case... Shapira's manuscript seems to be talking more, not about the person, although this is addressed to the person, but about the testimony itself. Huh, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. So, so the reason I bring that up is because this set people's hair on fire in the 19th century. They uh. said, they said, look at, look at this. Look, we found a mistake. It should have said a checker, but it says a dut checker, a testimony of deceit or a, a lying testimony. Uh-huh. And so one of the people who really uh, kind of got all up in arms about this is a guy by the name of uh, Neubauer. Now I'm just going to, uh-huh. I'm, I'm looking at, I'm reading from uh, an article, a paper, one of my favorite papers on the Shapira manuscript is written by a guy named Menachem Mansour. Now, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned John Mark Allegro, and you're reading his book right now. Menachem yep. Mansour was a chairman of the Department of Hebrew and Semitic Studies at the University of Wisconsin. In the 50s, he began to call for a reassessment of the Shapira Scrolls. And why did he do that, Jono? Because the the descriptions, he's one of the chief Dead Sea Scroll scholars at the time, and he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're telling me they found leather strips in a cave, wrapped in linen, coated in asphalt, written in Paleo-Hebrew with inner punks, and now, 80 years later, we find the same thing? Are you kidding me? Mm. He called for a reassessment. Now, guess what happens? The, the academic world goes crazy. They say, no, right. no, no. This it was determined to be a forgery, Menachem Mansur. We're not going to get into that. Well, Menachem Mansur um, wrote this paper, and he made every appeal to try to get people to reassess the scrolls. He never came out and said, this is authentic, because scholars are more careful than that quite often. But what he said was, 
this demands a re-examination. It, it deserves. Right. It deserves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So um, he he got into a lot of scholarly debates, not dissimilar to what we see Don Dershowitz dealing with today. They mm. don't they don't come at Ross Nichols. They ignore me. But they they look at Edan Dershowitz. He's a professor. He's a Harvard grad, and they think you you just basically ruined your career by standing on Shapira's manuscript. So they're all gunning for him. Well, they did the same yeah. to Menachem Mansur. And, and let's just pause for a second and realize that it is an exceptionally brave thing to do to come out and say, look at the the circumstantial evidence, the descriptive evidence uh, in favor. Of and and vastly more than that, in favour of uh, this document being authentic, it's an exceptionally brave thing to do when you have uh, an academic uh, standing like like uh, Dershowitz does, uh, coming out with the valediction of Moses, yeah. and standing there willing to defend it and defend it, he does very very well, um, th- because he has so much more to lose. That's right. So That's right. it just needs to be mentioned. Uh, and recognized. And so you're saying that Mansour did exactly the same uh, and, and put himself in a vulnerable position. Keep going. He did. And and let me just bring this up. Uh, John Mark Allegro did the same thing. Now, John Mark Allegro is considered a maverick scholar. I love the guy. I mean, he, he really mm-hmm. had courage in his day, too. But, but he writes one, really well. One quote that, I, that I'll bring in at this point is Moses Shapira once wrote a letter uh, August 28th, 83, to Edward Augustus Bond at the Chief Librarian of the British Museum. And he's trying to appeal to Bond by saying, look, let someone else look at this thing. Ginsburg mm. is, you know, he's he's kowtowed. But what he says is the sin of believing in a false document is not much greater than disbelieving the truth. The mm. tendency of showing great scholarship by detecting a forgery is rather great in our age. And baby, mm. that is true now more than ever. So mm-hmm. back in eighteen uh, in the 1900s, after the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 50s, uh, Menachem Mansour steps forward. And he takes on the case again, bringing it to light, and called for the reassessment. Now, Neubauer is a 19th century guy. He was one of the guys who fought against Shapira and the authenticity question back in the day. So here's here's who he is, just so people know. Neubauer, I'm reading from Mansour's footnote, and by the way, this article can easily be found on uh, uh, the internet. It's called The Case of Shapira's Dead Sea Deuteronomy Scrolls of 1883. Interesting mm. title, Dead Sea Deuteronomy. Okay, Neubauer is a British Semitic scholar born in Hungary. 1832 to 1907. In 1868, he became associated with the Bodleian Library, where he subsequently came became sub-librarian. He was a reader of rabbinical literature at Oxford from 1886 to 1900, published a number of books, one being a catalog of the Hebrew manuscripts. This guy is a giant of the field, Jonas, so let me just mm-hmm. say that up front. So as... Ginsburg was publishing the manuscript. Neubauer is reading these paper, these newspaper reports, and he's going, "Oh, oh my! That, how do they believe that this thing is? Re- it can't be real." One of the arguments right. that he makes, Jono, is about hmm. the text that we're talking about. Okay. Okay. He, all right. So one of his arguments. This is 
a linchpin for him. That he thinks that because it says a dute, that it's false. And here's his main contention. He says that a dute uh, is rabbinic. Okay, so mm-hmm. uh, because Shapira's manuscript doesn't have aid witness, but rather has a dute testimony, he says mm-hmm. that didn't come in until a much later period. So, he, for instance, here's a quote. Um, let's see. Uh, the very phrase, on the other hand, used for expressing false testimony in the Talmud. So you get his point. He's saying uh, this is Talmudic. And guess who is a Talmudic scholar? Shapira. So mm-hmm. he's he's putting in an extra jab, Jonah. What he's saying is, well, I mean, you know, if you're going to make a mistake and you happen to be inclined to rabbinic usage like Shapira is, when you say a dut and you make a mishap, you, you've given yourself away. So what now, this is sort of complex, so I'm just going to hit the top high level of this argument. Mm-hmm. Mansoor says that's not the case. So one of the things that Mansoor does in his article is he says that, uh, that you shouldn't be, first of all, don't be concerned that aid Shekhar, uh, that Shekhar is used instead of Sheen Vav Aleph, like you find in Deuteronomy. The reason mm-hmm. he's bringing this up is because Neubauer makes such a big deal about it. He says not only is Shekhar found in Exodus 20, but there are 17 manuscripts of Deuteronomy from ancient times which use uh-huh. Shekhar instead of Sheen Vav Aleph. Oh, that's fascinating. All right. So he says, yeah. let's not let's not get hung up on that word. And then he says, Neubauer's main contention is that a dut is rabbinic. Ayin Dalit Tav. This, mm-hmm. he continues, this is questionable. First, a dut, quote, testimony, end quote, is more appropriate here than Ayin Dalit witness. You, you follow. So his point mm-hmm. is, if if you're going to get down to it, you would expect this. It would make more sense if it said a dude, which happens to be what we find in Shapira's manuscript. And right. he says that this particular phrase, testimony, this word testimony, is found in this sense in at least six times in the Psalms. And he gives the references, which I'll give. We don't have to go to, but just so uh, the listeners can look them up. Psalm seventy-eight, eighty-five, Psalm eighty, verse one, Psalm eighty-one, verse six, Psalm one nineteen, verse eighty-eight, and Psalm one twenty-two, verse four, all use this idea of testimony, like we find in the Shapira manuscript. Uh, so he says, "Look, don't uh, don't get too hung up on that." Then uh-huh. uh, he brings up the fact that. Uh, let's see, a false testimony and not a false witness, thus in agreement with Shapira's text. All the versions, I'm quoting uh, Mansour, all the Mm. versions could not have invented a word when the translations were made. This does not imply that Shapira's text is superior or more authentic. On the other hand, this deviation from the Masoretic text cannot be taken as evidence against the authenticity of the document. So I find it fascinating 
that yeah. one of the main arguments in the 19th century was, ah, we got him. We got him, boys. He used <laughs> a dute, and he should have uh, used something else. And and by the way, I should also point out that, um, that Edan, in his book, The Valediction of Moses, he gets mm. into a two-page discussion on this very subject, and it is very, very deep. Uh, but he basically concludes that certainly it is not a reason to say that it's a, a, a inauthentic or a false document. He says it's actually the other way around. Uh, yeah, it weighs into favor, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this, this idea, what this text is actually saying is similar to what you brought up. That was an excellent verse you brought in from Deuteronomy 19. The idea has to do with um, bringing forward, responding against your brother with a, I say, testimony of deceit, but you Mm. could say a false testimony. Uh, But it's not so much that you're, you're saying, don't be a false witness. You're saying, hey, you, don't bring... Uh, don't respond against your brother in a lying testimony. You know, you go, mm-hmm. well, Jono, did did you did you see Ross go into that liquor store and you know hold him at gunpoint? And you go, absolutely, I saw. You know, that's it. It's <laughs> lying on the stand is the way it comes out. Now, the other thing that's interesting to me is that there is correlation here, at least in my understanding between this particular command um, mm. and or this particular word and the one that we covered in our last discussion. Because in the last discussion, there's this idea that you shall not swear in my name to deceive, mm, or, to deceive. Or, or for deceit. See, it's that shekher mm. again. So what we have here is consecutively, don't bring uh, falsehood in association with God's name and and don't bring a false testimony against your brother. Mm. So it's like they're grouped together, which I think is fascinating. Mm. No, I have to agree. There's one other thing. Uh, so Herman Goethe, our listeners know who this is. He's one of the, the two German scholars who examined the uh, Shapira manuscripts in mm. a hotel in Leipzig. And in his book, which our listeners can also get online for no cost. They can just go to my Academia page and download Fragments of a Leather Manuscript. And on mm. page 37, I'm not going to go into all the details because this is uh, this is pretty detailed here. Now, this is this is the document that, uh, that is on your Academia page, uh, the document that was uh, financed into, tra- into translation by Dave and Patty Tyler. That's, That's correct. Great. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, it's right where I said it was, page 37. <laughs> so okay. so in, in the manuscript, in their assessment, Herman Goethe uh, hmm. actually got into this very discussion about the phrase, a dute. And, and it did throw him for a loop because he's expecting, Jono, he mm. knows that in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it's aid, ayin dalit, that's used. So right. he's he's questioning what it is that, that he's looking at there, and how does he understand it? And, and he says twice in this manuscript, we find mm. the noun a dut. And he says the two references are 
fragment E, column D. Well, Jonah, that's what mm-hmm. we're working in tonight. And right. column uh, fragment H, column A, we find the noun adut, which can be pronounced, and then he gives the Hebrew. Uh, and he says, we find it in both of these places connected with ana, which means to answer or respond, right? So, he, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. uh, column H, is this, is this in reference to the blessings or the or the curses? Where I, Where is that? I don't know. I didn't look at it yet. <clears throat> All right. We'll get there eventually. At, yeah. Uh, so, it is It is uh, in those two places. And he says, in yep. both of those places, it's connected with ana. While in the Old Testament, he says, usually aid sheker forms the addition of the verb. Though, in view of Deuteronomy 19, 16, and 18, that's the verse you called our attention to, Jono, it does not appear as inadmissible that the thing be linked linked with anah as an object in the accusative. There remains thus only question, one question, which of the two possible pronunciations is to be uh, viewed as the intended one. So then he Mm -hmm. goes into a very detailed discussion back and forth, uh, and then he ultimately says that uh, even though it etymologically is justified. So in other words, he says no matter what we see, whether we think it's a problem or not, he gives it a pass. He said, I don't see anything wrong etymologically, you know, as far as where does the root word come from. He's not mm. finding a mistake. Uh, nor, by, I should also add this, nor does Neubauer find it to be a problem grammatically or anything. He just says, oh yeah, it, it's perfect Hebrew. It's just late Hebrew. It's something you would find in the Talmud or something. Certainly mm. not in the biblical period, you know, in the, the first temple period. Mm-hmm. So, now, Edan's work, uh, I would encourage listeners who have studied Hebrew, you know, for a pretty good bit, th- that they might find the discussion in uh, in Edan's work, The Valediction of Moses, to be quite interesting. But it's it's very detailed and certainly something that would be hard to convey uh, tonight in our discussion. But it is. The bottom line is this. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 do not agree. Deuteronomy 5, I mean Exodus 20 and Shapira's manuscript have an interesting correlation with Shekhar. More in common. Yeah, in mm-hmm. common. And we find, according to Mansur, that there are 17 manuscripts of Deuteronomy which also use Shekhar. So this is okay. not out of line. We find that right. it correlates nicely with Deuteronomy 19, and we find that, that there is a good bit of evidence that a dut. According to Mansur, that's a better reading. You would expect you would you would almost say that that makes mm-hmm. more sense than saying Eidshecker in this particular grammatical construction. So I think once again we have certainly no reason to cast aspersions on these texts mm. uh, in Shapira at a minimum. But I think it's really worth suggesting that this preserves a more authentic reading. And uh, I think that Shapira, once again, these strips stand out uh, in a very positive light after we bring in all the evidence. And you've certainly made the case. I really appreciate that. Just for clarification, Guta's reference to the section, uh, second use of uh, Edut uh, in HA is the curses. So, because uh, it is the one who takes a bribe to testify deceitfully against his associate, uh, ah. it appears within there 
all right well all right so there we go hey that's huge that's a big deal yeah and and i thought it was just going to be a little quick thing but i think we've been going for quite a while now so that's it and now we're up to nine now we're up to nine that's what i was saying i was being prophetic when i was saying we were up to nine i meant by the end of today's discussion we'll be in nine that's what what is nine? You want to read that as we close? Yeah, why not? Uh, yes, we next week uh, when we dive in again, uh, the next one is you shall not, as it appears in the um, Shapira scroll, you shall not desire your neighbor's woman, his servant, his maidservant, or anything that is his. Mm. I am Elohim, your Elohim. All right. Have a beautiful mm. week, everybody. Have a beautiful week. Mm.